It's Toby Miller here with the Studies Podcast. So we sort of put ourselves together around the fire, as it were. I'm here in the upper bar of the Great Northern Hotel in King's Cross, London, and I'm with somebody whose work I've admired for a long time, but I've only just met, namely Catherine Bromwich. Hello, Catherine. How are you? I'm well. And how many times have you interviewed people as opposed to being interviewed? Um, many more than being interviewed. Um, I don't know exactly how many, maybe 50, 60 times. Um, so you, you kind of get used to asking the questions yeah. and like, raising yourself the conversation. So it's very odd to be on the other end. Yeah. <laughs> and I should say, I don't know how long you've been a journalist, but I know people who've been journalists for 50 years, which definitely is longer than you. And they don't like it. They're not really like it. Um, but tell us, you know, just for starters, what you've been up to today, because I think you've just left work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've just come from The Observer. I'm, I'm at the New Review right now. I'm uh, just kind of speaking. For this lady. Thank you. Um, um, I'm just there for a few months. I've been sending a lot of people their way and uh, help them organise interviews, so try to get famous um, people to talk to us before they speak to others. <laughs> 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 a bit like what my podcast is trying to do, actually, but on a smaller scale. Well, first of all, for people outside the UK, Perhaps you could explain what The Observer is. Yeah, well, The Observer is the Sunday paper of the world garden. Which everybody now knows yeah. about around the world. No, yeah, global, yeah. global yeah. brand. Um, Spanish, Australia, America. Uh, yeah, The Observer is um, on Sunday, and uh, it's the oldest Sunday newspaper in the UK. Is it 200 years old or something? It's aged, isn't it? I think so. Not yeah, something like, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm on the new review section, right. so that's the culture and arts supplement. Um, and it also does publications on politics and sports and a bit of everything. Bit of everything. In the 60s, I think, The Observer and the Sunday Times introduced the glossy Sunday weekend magazine, Mary Quant, The Beatles, Gene Shrimpton, James Bond, all that fashion slick world suddenly burst into glossy newsprint, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the new review is still kind of in, um, in um, on paper, so it's not shiny, it's not glossy, but um, quite an old-fashioned kind of publication, like in a good way, so uh-huh. uh, you can imagine just sitting there like on a Sunday with scrawled all, all over the table. Yeah. It's, it's not kind of really friendly, like for a, you can't just read it off while you're commuting. So it's sort of, you know, partner, cat, dog, croissant, coffee, crumbs, new review. Yeah, or picnic in the park. Picnic in the park. Yeah, hangover day. Hangover day. Part of the hangover cure you recommend, is it the remedy? And not wanting to get you to talk out of school, but tell us what it's like trying to get a famous person's interview ahead of or instead of competition. I mean, you don't have to give names if you don't want to, but an example from the past that you could fabricate for us, as it were, changing the names to protect the guilty. Right. Um, well, I've only been here a couple of months so far, so it's 
nothing too dramatic. Right. Just, um, being friendly to PR so that they're friendly back to you. And, PR? Um, uh, uh, the press people and the celebrities right, right. Um, so public relations right. so it's a bit of give and take so uh, they'll, they'll try to give you the, the celebrity if no one has to and, um, and do you try to get the one that everyone else wants to um, exercise and diplomacy yeah <laughs> who wants Mel Gibson nowadays yeah. style yeah. question right so, in a sense, you're both both sides are dueling with A list versus B and C. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so celebrities are. Um, they shouldn't. It, it feels silly for a publication like the Observer to chase celebrities. Mm. Buy, buy them so that, well, isn't the thing about the Observer, and maybe you could explain a bit about the difference between the so-called tabloid and quality papers in the UK? Because a lot of listeners won't be familiar probably with that difference. Yeah. Um, well, there's the, on the lower end of the spectrum, there's the red tops, so there's the sun and the uh, uh, papers that are the tabloids, so, like today on the Sun's front cover, was uh, a four-year-old boy who apparently had Mark Satan on him. And um, they showed the, the boy's face, and it was completely um, ill-judged. It's probably just a mark that he got from a hot hairdryer. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, and, Gaza doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah. Right? Um, I don't think I've ever seen that. <laughs> Yeah. And there's the kind of like mid-range um, papers like Daily um, Mail who have pretensions of being uh, a bit better written, better informed, um, but they they have a very strong agenda against immigration and people on benefits. Kind of aimed towards um, what people say is it's for the wives of the people who run the country. <laughs> so, um, although I have to admit that there's the on, online, there's the male online sidebar of shame, which is um, a guilty pleasure of mine. And it has all the new latest news about Kim Kardashian. And <laughs> well, this is the thing in the United States, it goes gangbusters, and it's very different from the male here, isn't it? I mean, if you go to the male online in the US, it's enormously oh, successful. Really? <laughs> it's all celebrity gossip, it's all Kim Kardashian, actually. And there's none of the maniacal wives of the powerful obsessions with people of color or somebody who doesn't have an English accent or any of that retired misses of Tunbridge Wells crap. It's all Kim Kardashian all the time. Yeah. Very, very popular. Oh, that, that's a different kind of danger because uh, I think where the male online in the UK draws people in by with the sidebar of shape. So you want to see, you know, what's been up to lately. And mm. you end up reading about how immigration is bad by clicking around the site. Um, I think that's more dishonest than just having celebrity which is kind of escapism and fluff uh, after a long day at work is quite fun. It's relaxing, <laughs> yeah. it's like television. Yeah.
it's warming, soothing. Yeah. So, so what about the Guardian, the Times, the Tory graph? Yeah. The um, non-tabloid, the yeah. in old terms, yeah. broadsheet. Yeah. The, the defined as the quality papers, um, the, the Times sells a lot more than the Guardian. Um, <laughs> that doesn't make us better. Yeah. Uh, so, so, the Times says kind of centre ground, but it's actually fairly right wing. Tory graph is rightly positive. It's pretty right wing as well, but it does have some good um, like culture and humour features. And good writing. Yeah, and, um, and throughout all of these papers, um, Pretty much the same writers writing for all of them. So you very rarely find someone who only writes for left wing papers because they're so few. The Guardian and the Independent. Um, I mean, the, the, and the news, New Statesman, which is a newspaper. It staggers. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, which is a weekly magazine, yeah. meant to be the answer to the spectator, yeah. and a good magazine. Yeah. You've worked for the Independent as well, haven't you? It's uh, written for the Independent. Yeah, yeah, I just worked for the Independent. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, they're going through a tough time. <laughs> but here you are at the Observer filling in, in a sense, while folks are on holiday. That's a great opportunity. Yeah. The Observer is a wonderful paper. And it's, fair, it's only fairly recently that Ethan and Warney added together, I think. Like last 20 years, 10 years, something like that. It was a separate entity. And there, there are strange historical reasons why in Britain Sunday papers were separate. So there was never a Sunday Sun until recently. Um, the Times has a separate thing called the Sunday Times and so on. Observer maybe a little less on the left, or is that like I, that's a feel thing? I'm not sure if that's right or not. I wouldn't say that. I think it's more aimed towards a slightly older um, audience, but it's still still more aimed at out and about for people in their 20s and 30s, yeah. and maybe some young parents, yeah. observer, maybe more for people in their 40s. Well, maybe kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, and up, um, yeah, it's more of a kind of like parent. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People who are spending Sunday possibly getting over a hangover, but possibly dealing with children yeah. and nappies yeah. and parties for children. Yeah. What do you enjoy in the Observer? What's, what's fun for you to read as a reader? Um, I, I, I like it a lot. I like the, um, the film reviews, the breaks. Hmm. Um, I, I'm obviously uh, biased towards the new reviews. <laughs> um, uh, but there's some like, really in-depth features uh, that are about really wide range of subjects. So yeah, I didn't know that I was interested in, say, um, uh, 
trying to think End of the work day. So you, you'll end up reading something that you know that you've heard about before. Um, and the, just the caliber of writers they have. Yeah. It's, it's really like the top end. Um, yeah, it's terrific. And it's in, it's in this extraordinary edifice, Guardian Towers, right, where the Guardian Media Group is. I don't know about the Observer, but the Grawniad itself has podcasts and some video material online. Like, say, the New York Times is trying to reach out. And I think both the Grawniad and the Observer, unlike the Times, unlike the Sun, are all free online, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's the Sure. There's more advertising coming in because there are more readers and high-end international readers. And it's, I'm, I'm very interested at the decision to expand into Australia and the US that you mentioned, that now there, I mean, I'm often in both those countries and I find it quite frustrating that it's very difficult to get the UK or US Borneoad in Australia when I'm there. It's just all this stuff that doesn't interest me. <laughs> but it is quite an investment to try to reach into the Anglo sphere, as it were. Quite fascinating. Yeah, um, I think that the Guardian and the Observer are unique in the world in that, that just the, the reach that they have and the... Uh, I, I talked about how the Daily Mail has the mm. Guardian and the Observer obviously do too, yeah, but it happens sure. to be an agenda even if even if it is biased and mm. um, it's, it's right to be um, because it kind of believes in it and it's believes in rather than just well, when you look at the Mail, which I think pays its journalists more than most of these other papers, if not all, there is a real brutality to it. I think the thing about the Grawniad and the Observer that I admire as a reader, and I am actually a subscriber in that I buy the Kindle version, is that multiple sides of stories are always given. Multiple sides. And yes, of course, it's a leftist agenda, but any kind of leftist agenda should ideally be one that says, actually, this is very complicated. It's not just dialectical, it's multi-pointed, multi-sided. We're going to try to give you all elements of the story. And that's why it's more valuable to me than, say, the New York Times, which you know, I read during uh, many years living in the United States, or the LA Times, where basically you're told there are two sides to the story. One is liberal, one is conservative. And frankly, that's just simplistic in its own way, as much as the Daily Mail and its madness in this agenda to which you referred. So, you know, I'm, as a reader, I'm very positive. So tell us a bit about how you got into journalism. Is it all right to ask about that? Yeah, sure. Um, oh, yes, that would be lovely. Thank you very much. Um, so 
hearts. Think of a round back way. What in, in high school? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've always been kind of in the feature side, like Fun. And where was that? Uh, I was in, here in Britain? No, I went to do a school in Vienna. Uh -huh. so my mum got a job at the UN, but so, um, I went to live there for So you were writing in German? Uh, no, it was an international school, uh -huh. so it was all things. Okay. My German's very well. Right. Um, when I went to university in the UK, I went to York. Oh, really? On campus? Yeah. How interesting. So, there were two. Yeah, so there's a So was that scandal on campus? Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, 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 news, which or news, And you were doing feature journalism there? Uh, well, I was just doing like a little bit before the music section. I seem to do lots. Um, I kind of went to what were you majoring in? Uh, English University College London. University College London. Uh, and the degree was called uh, English Issues and Modern Culture. Which was kind of, um, as it sounds, a little bit of everything. So like Preparation the, for the new <laughs> review, it sounds. <laughs> yeah, or off dinner parties. Well, it's only a question of time of day. <laughs> What sort of publishing were you doing? I I have worked with Sage actually. Yes, uh, quite a bit. A couple of journals and a couple of books. In fact, I've got a copyrighted version of a new edited book with them in my bag. Yeah. So okay. Um, but we did we have we didn't meet then, did we? Uh, no, no. Um, I think you have to change the Yes. Yeah, I think he's just something to that list. 
but I was also on the, in the U.S. most of the time anyway. But uh, you know, it's an interesting company, Sage. Much, much more progressive and critical and intellectual in the UK than in California. Yeah, I mean, all the people I've met who work there are smart and interesting. But publishing doesn't pay too well in those areas, I don't think. It wasn't so much about pay, it was uh, that during that time I was doing some bits and bobs of writing okay. for um, like local newspapers and uh, websites in London. And um, yeah, my, my love for journalism that I'd put aside for a few years um, came back. Reasserted it. Yeah, so um, I realised that's what I wanted to do. Then I went back to university. Yeah. Um, a master's in magazine. Another master? Yes. Yeah. My God, you're the most qualified person in this room. I mean, not that I know that for a fact, but I suspect it. Uh, master's in magazine journalism, where yeah. was that? Uh, it was at City University London, which is just down the road. Walking here. Indeed it is. Um, and a very esteemed journalism yeah. department. And did work experience come from that? Um, it's very much part of the course. You have to do two to, four, two to four weeks before you get on the course, and then as part of it, you do um, seven weeks over like, the Christmas and these different days. Right. It's all unpaid, which is not ideal, clearly. But they're, they're very insistent mm. that after you graduate, you should demand to be paid. Are they? Yeah. Well, that's good. I hope they learn to be as insistent yeah. of your being paid while you're a student. Um, yeah. Some one of the things. Correct me if I'm wrong in this, but that I gather from a few journalists I know and from my own experience, limited as it is writing in this field, is that increasingly, some, they'll remain nameless, newspapers online, don't pay. But do pay for print. Uh, so I've written, for my own example, I've written pieces for The Guardian, The New York Times, The Australian, and not been paid anything. Right? And I, know, I even know people who've got named columns where all they get is the syndicated rights and they're managed for them by the newspaper that does the original publication without payment. And that's a British daily. So there are, it's tough out there for a lot of people. I think at the start of your career, it's a trade-off that you have to make. Um, so you, you could get some articles in a really good publication and not get paid for it, that gives you more yeah. But it just 
after a certain level, it keeps you I had a conversation with James Rogers about this the other day, who's on the faculty there, used to be BBC correspondent in both Russia and Gaza at different times, and has actually been a victim of the podcast, like myself. We were chatting about this with reference to the conversation, which is this online magazine thing that is partially funded by City University and seems to be based equally in Australia and the UK. It's pretty good. It's getting academics to write like journalists because it has very skillful journalists editing them. But it doesn't pay, I don't think. No, it certainly hasn't paid me. And I just had a piece subbed brilliantly by somebody in-house there over the last few days. But they killed, rejected. And of course, you don't get a kill fee. And you've done all this work and the sub-editor's done all this work and then somebody up the line says, actually, we don't need this. Uh, but it, no, sorry, this isn't meant to be about me, but why not? The point is, I think there is a complicated trade-off in a lot of these cultural fields. It happens a lot in Hollywood. Go work in the mailroom, volunteer, and then you'll find out all this stuff about how the system works, and you'll meet celebrities, you'll represent them if you're working in an agency, whatever it may be. And of course it's a great way of getting free labour. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's um, just trying to figure out how the whole online thing works. Um, I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen in five, twenty years' time. So that makes it very difficult for people to know what to pay and what to ask to be paid for different things. Um, so if you're a freelancer and people ask you what's the what do you say? Do you give like day rate or word rate? It's very tricky. So I'm just trying to get my head around that. Yep. Um, because whatever you choose, that people might try to. Um, if you give a day rate, they'll up the word count. If you give a word count rate, they'll cut. Yeah. So um, not that. Just certain publications. Yeah. Not to name names. Sure. No, I can I can name names because I'm not as reliant on this as you are. That's why I just named some names. Having said that, of course, I'm incredibly proud of having written something that appeared online in the New York Times, something that appeared in the Guardian. So, you know, it's, it's that's the other side. Of course, there's a satisfaction feeling that you're getting through to the sort of constituency you want that I wouldn't wish to deny. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting how the New Yorker uh, recently done this kind of free-for-all um, three-month period before it gets behind the table. But it's a metered system, isn't it, they're, they're talking about? I don't think it's a full paywall. You know, where you, yeah, you get access to certain amounts oh, okay. I, for certain I amounts. Was, uh, I, think it's, I think it's going to be me, the metered which is sort of yeah. like, I guess the FT is metered, Financial Times. Um, you pay a bit of money, yeah. you pay no money, you get eight articles a month. You know, you pay a bit, you get ten, or I don't know what, that kind of thing, as if you were parking somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think and New Yorker has redesigned itself, hasn't it? Redesigned itself. Yeah. What do you think of the new design? Have you looked at it? Um, not in detail. It doesn't look that different from the old. 
I know, I keep looking at it thinking, and this is different because. What about multimedia, Because this is one of the questions I have. Um, in the old days, if you worked for the BBC, you had to write copy so that it was read. You didn't have to write copy that was going to be read by the audience. I'm okay, thank you for now. Right? But now you guys have to think about going on camera if you're a print journalist potentially or doing audio at least and if you're a broadcast journalist thinking about writing stuff that's going to be on the web forever yeah. does that did that come into the training at city when you did the second masters yeah there's the online journalism is a big part of it you have to know about the legal aspects first of all so uh, just because it's online it doesn't mean you can just take things Copyrights exists. Um, um, yeah, video and audio are a great way to uh, pull people in. Um, also, gifts. Gifts are revolutionising. Uh, gifts? <laughs> yeah, gifts. Oh, oh gifts, sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's like the old uh, gas station thing where, you know, free set of glasses, uh, tumblers, when you buy some petrol from this place. Yes, gifts are... No, how are gifts revolutionized? Um, well, the, the BuzzFeed effect is mysticals and, um, uh, and um, Luke Lewis, the UK editor of BuzzFeed, came into the city uh, several times and gave some very convincing talks about how actually uh, using graphs and pictures mm. and uh, videos they can explain things much more clearly and um, um, simply to a wider range of people who might normally be reading about the treatment of homosexuals in Russia or Stalin. Um, yeah. But I think all around um, this has had a good effect. I mean, even the tour graph, uh, the other day was a really good infographic about um, every child that's died in Gaza and it was these pictures and it really kind of pulled the point home very, very powerfully. So I think just saying pictures of bad and stupid is simplistic because uh, people there is so much information coming out of small sides that yes. if something makes uh, information easier to digest, then that can be a good thing. Sure. On the other hand, long form uh, reading is uh, getting a seeing comeback. Is it? Uh, yeah, there's um, long reads and um, but there are certain sections of like, websites that are dedicated. Yeah. And of course, BuzzFeed has just gotten into a little bit of hot water because yeah. one of its big stars has basically been pilfering stories from all over the place. Just as we find out that the tennis correspondent of the London Times has been doing exactly the same thing. So the question you raised earlier about copyright and learning traditional values and restrictions and rules of journalism.
applies whether you're talking about the newest or the oldest, it seems. So that's, that's interesting too, isn't it? And it's fascinating to hear you say there's a return to a longer form, because I guess one of the ways in which newspapers and magazines have felt they could find a way through the problem of paying for content was that people would want reflective pieces that gave context. Um, I think people are now, um, we, we check our phones like 160 times a day, research says. So there's a new trend of people avoiding technology and um, kind of going deep, uh, phone detoxes, and retreats that there's no internet. And so, um, yeah, either reading a book or a long article now seems yeah. like. <laughs> How, how do you read books, Catherine? Do you read them in digital form or material um, printed? It depends how long they are. Um, I mean, I like the uh, actual objects of books. So mm. I like the covers, I like the fonts and the texture of the paper. But if a book is like 800 pages long, I have a big bag. It's full of Already. I don't need any more weight, so I've got a Kindle for that kind of thing. The gold, the gold finch. I'm reading that right He's now. on the good <laughs> yeah, so. that he gets. Oh, you're reading it now? Yeah. God, yeah. how stereotypical oh, are you or how stereotypical am I? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm a massive stereotype. But I mean, I watch HBO shows. But you want to know about Kim Kardashian. Do you think Bruce Jenner is becoming a woman? Has to be the next question. Um, is he transitioning? <laughs> Bruce Jenner is her her stepfather, okay. who is divorcing her mother, and who appears to be transitioning. He's a former Olympic decathlon champion, and he appears to be transitioning, according to sources close to me, like the Daily Mail. <laughs> So I think we've been found out here. I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah, in well, I, I mean, Kim's not really my celebrity choice. I, think, so. I mean, there are celebrities and there are celebrities. Like, I'm as obsessed as anyone by the, the car crash or something like Kim. Like, oh, Lindsay like Lohan. It's like, yeah. Lindsay is it's just a bit too, too serious. Like, are you yeah, going? So, which car crash celebs do you enjoy rather than? Um, <laughs> um, I'm so Lindsay's um, a step too far for you. Yeah. George Kim's, Michael. Kim's funny. Um, Kim's okay. What about George Michael? Cars. Yeah. Toilets. Yeah, but that's, that's a bit less than it seems to be. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Jack Gleason, the actor, has a public now, he's, um, he's famously, famously quit acting and he's um, made uncomfortable by all, all his potential. But it's just a natural kind of reaction, even though like, 
um, you realise it's an irrational thing. Um, I actually wrote an essay about celebrities out of the city. Um, it's actually really interesting when you kind of dig deeper into the, the surface that um, there's a lot of very good actors writing by Chris Rager. Who is at City now? Yes. And, um, and was it Sage when you were there? Yes, yes. And is another victim of the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> increase. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and there's a very good documentary called uh, Star Suckers. Oh, I don't know that. Star Suckers. Yeah. And uh, in, in that documentary, there's an anthropologist from Oxford who talks about how we react to places and how evolution hasn't been able to predict. Um, photography or video, and so we react to celebrities as if they were people. Right. So we, it's a very odd relationship, which uh, Chris Rajak describes as parasocial, uh, which is like a one sided relationship where you feel you know someone but they don't know you. Yeah. But there is the kind of illusion of reciprocity. I think even, like, and what came up in this research was that everyone says they hate celebrity culture, they're burning me into it, but um, there are very good kind of biological reasons why we are. And there is, there is a chasm between being interested and then becoming obsessed and making it more vibrant. Yeah. <laughs> you have to kind of stop yourself and realise, okay, enough of that. I'm moving on. I'm going to go and yeah. pour the muesli out into the bowl. Yeah. But you've interviewed some celebrities in your time. Has, have you found that has changed your celebrity watching, as it were? Um, it's just very bizarre because. Uh, if you, if you see someone from when, when they're performing, um, it's it's not as problematic because it's uh, you're in the audience uh, doing that art form and, um, and that's their job and you can see it. Yeah. Well, it's, if you kind of bump into someone, that's, that's much stranger because you realise oh, on the same level as me. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a very bizarre community. Yeah, sure. In my case, taking a piss next to Tim Robbins when I lived in LA. Uh, I waited in the queue um, for the toilet uh, on the train in front of Prince Harry once, which was very strange. I, I didn't realise it was him. <laughs> really? I, I did think that's that. Ginger man, uh, like Prince Charles, but it didn't cross my mind that could be Prince Charles. So, you, were you on the Royal Train? <laughs> no, it's a normal kind of London to New York uh, train, and I was in first class, but I was thinking it was one of those weird quirks in the first class. She's not in the first class. Yeah. Well, safe with the park. Yeah. <laughs> Your credentials yeah. as an organic intellectual were cosmopolitan working class. <laughs> Unsullied. Yeah. Um, well, I was a student at the time, so I was actually. <laughs> yeah, um, but I didn't realise that until I saw the body arms around. Standing between you and the, the toilet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 
That's a good one. I don't know how, how many celebrities are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And got about five minutes left. I wanted to ask you two things. Uh, the second we'll come to is just how people can read your work. It's quite a simple answer because you've got a great website. But the first question is, I wanted to ask you about gender. And uh, one of the issues that's come up very powerfully in debates about BBC radio, for example, but also journalism in general in this country, is the situation of women and opportunities for women, uh, both as producers and presenters, but also as talent in terms of interviewees, that experts are again and again found to be straightish, whitish, maleish people of a certain age. This works well for people like me, but it doesn't work well for most of the population. So, and, and some of that research has been done at City University. So I wondered if you could tell us a bit about, again, not necessarily biographically, gender issues that are in and around journalism at the moment, as you see um, well, journalism is actually part of female profession, especially in the feature side. Is it? Um, on, my, on my May, I think it was about 80% female, um, and on the web, it's almost entirely women. So, on the other hand, uh, as I said, the interviewees are. It's more difficult to find women who, are, who have more positions like, say, like film directors. It's very few film directors. I think it's only like 2%. Uh, I mean, Catherine Bigelow is one of the And she's also one of the few that's done action adventure in particular. Yeah. And that's quite male in the field. No. Make yourself be. Respect. There is kind of pressure. Pander to male taste. Uh, I, there's, if you look at celebrity culture, it's about sports. Right. Uh, uh, if you look at like fashion, it's all dismissed as like airheads and stuff. And, uh, uh, women are who are interested in yeah. fashion are talked down to and more sport, which is, to be honest, just men cooking or making. Uh, that, that is fine. I mean, I think they're both kind of poisonous. But there is there is just so much misogyny around, um, and um, uh, yeah, I do sometimes feel that if the things I wrote were written by men, the response would be um, less aggressive, um, less kind of personal. Um, um, yeah, I, I have a blog called Stuff White Bricks Like, which is uh, which I've copied from the American website now. Yeah. Uh, stuff White People Like, which is basically about how the, the things that 
stereotypes on me is that like, yeah, in that country it's like, living in a lot of I have to bring it to the things So I've written that without putting my name on it. Um, very deliberately because comedy is something that like, if you know it's not by one inside you'll think oh this is a yeah so you can on your guard to find find that kind of find it wow so when your byline does appear have you received tweets or, or comments in magazines and newspapers online that are misogynistic? Um, not entirely misogynistic, I've been fairly fortunate that way. Although, reading other articles by women which are completely reasonable and well argued, if you look at the comments that are just so phenomenal, I think many of you have comments on websites that are male, I don't know what I'm talking about. Or on a complete guess, they said absolutely nothing except my opinion. I said about 80% of the And mostly wearing anoraks. Yeah. And spotting trains. So there's a lot of my great offensive backlash. So I wrote an article about how men in Texas um, are part of this open carry movement, so openly carry guns in public spaces, which could have women and children, ostensibly to protect them, but actually it's very uh, intimidating that uh, women don't like it, and uh, they are, you know, just people don't like it, and as they were, I wrote a tongue-in-cheek article that made me fight with men, and just the backlash against that article was really virulent. It wasn't explicitly mental and misogynistic, but it was just so extreme. Yeah. Second Amendment fetishism, I'd call it. This is the notorious Second Amendment to the US Constitution, which is madly interpreted by the Supreme Court as giving the right to carry arms. It's quite clear that's not what it meant in any contemporary sense. But as we know, interpretative law is made in the contemporary even as it is allegedly based in precedent, which applies to the left as well as the right. So the last question, Catherine, if we could, is in terms of finding your journalism, where, where do people go to get a good consolidated account? We're all right, just to check, thank you. Um, well, if you Google my name, I, I think I'm the only character in my there is. Uh, it will come up. Um, I've got a website um, that um, has all my writing on it. Um, that's Catherine Bromwich. That's K-H-A-T-H-R-Y-N-B-R-S-H.com. Otherwise, on Twitter, I'm at Catherine but filter it through a non-misogynistic piece of software, please. That's all right. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for coming into the pod. And what would be fun would be maybe when you're, you know, in your next spot, uh, if you would come back into the pod and share with us how things are going. All right. Great. Many thanks.